RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. We understand the science of climate change. That means we know what we've got to do. The bit that we still are struggling with in particular is who's going to pay for it and how. And because insurance is such a big enabler of things happening, we are really fundamental. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I'm joined by a guest, and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week, we have Julian Richardson, and we're going to discuss sustainable insurance. Julian's varied career with insurance started on the broking side with Sedgwick and Marsh. Uh, he then became an underwriting risk manager at GE, uh, an agent at the Multilateral Investment Guarantee Agency, and he also spent a, a brief spell at Chaucer as head of onshore energy. In 2006, he founded Parhelion Underwriting Limited, where he is currently the co-CEO. Alongside that, in recent years, he has acted as an advisor to the Department for International Trade, advising on the topic of green insurance. And in 2021, Parhelion went one stage further and announced that it would shortly be launching the world's first fully sustainable insurer, which is what we're going to discuss today. So Julian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Peter. I always ask everyone, what was it that first brought you to insurance? Uh, I think like most people in the insurance world, it was a luck or accident. It was not a uh, designed career move, but I would say it was a lucky accident. I uh, fell into it, started as a claims broker at Sedgwick, uh, working on mining and energy business in the international arena and found it thoroughly fascinating and enjoyable. And sort of my career has blossomed from that. Let's start with, with Parhelion. According to the website, uh, it is uh, an energy and climate risk finance company specialising in non-traditional risk issues impacting investment into clean energy and climate finance markets. So I presume from that that the Parhelion's interests are go beyond the world of insurance. Could you briefly explain what Parhelion does? Yeah, well, insurance is a really important part of the capital stack. You know, nothing gets invested unless it's insured um, because insurance takes certain risks. Equity takes the commercial risks and obviously debt really takes very little risk. But it's important to understand all parts of that capital stack in order to make financing packages work. You know, my background is and I'm an insurance person and, you know, just recognizing the importance of insurance to remove barriers by taking risks that are acting as barriers um, that would otherwise prevent the debt and equity being deployed. And so that's, uh, we, we look more broadly, not just, you know, we're not just trying to sell an insurance policy. It's all about structuring and financing arrangement that, that works for all parties and using insurance capital in innovative ways to you know, mobilise debt and equity into climate compatible investment opportunities and, and sustainable investment. You mentioned they're climate compatible and um, sustainability. I mean, what was it that made you first personally interested in this sort of area? How did you become involved with kind of energy and climate risk finance? 
Well, I started, my, my energy experience started right as a claims broker working on power business. I then moved over to the oil and gas side. And um, I found, you know, the whole energy sector really fascinating. You know, there's lots of cool stuff, big engineering projects, and, and it's so important to the world. You know, energy drives our modern economy. It's so energy reliant. But at the same time, I was also very aware of uh, the environmental impacts, climate change being the biggest issue out there. And I ultimately, I did my master's thesis on carbon trading risk back in 2001, which was very early. You know, the carbon markets didn't really exist until 2004. Kyoto was signed in 2005, six. And so, you know, it was a personal interest combined with a professional knowledge of the, the energy sector. And um, before we go any further, this is just a, a scratch of personal itch, I suppose. I'm intrigued to know why you've called the company Parhelion, because Wikipedia tells me uh, that a, a Parhelion is, is a rare meteorological event in which halos can be seen around the sun due to refraction of light through ice crystals. This podcast is nothing if not educational. Um, and uh, it's also known as a sun dog, apparently, a Parhelion. So, so what was it that drew you to that name out of all the names that you could have chosen? My first involvement way back in, in the early 2000s, just as the carbon world was uh, emerging as a, as a business class, I had a very small role in uh, helping get a, a business called Climate Change Capital going. And that had many follow-on copycat and looky-likey businesses as well. And they all had carbon and climate and capital. And so I didn't want any of those in the name. So the closest thing I put climate well, weather, atmospheric effects, and, and I don't know how my mind got onto that, but it, it did. And it, I Googled atmospheric effects and I saw this fascinating word, pyhelion, and looked it up. And as, as you say, it's caused by ice crystals. And I'm a keen skier. So you see these meteorological uh, phenomena often in the Alps when you're skiing in certain latitudes. And I had seen them and I thought, well, that's that's interesting. But it, it was one of the first names I wrote down. And then I spent quite a long time to try and think of something better and different. And, and I couldn't. So Parhelion it was. And it stuck and it, it works well. It does work very well. Um, and uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, Parhelion uh, has announced that it's, it's launching this first fully sustainable insurer in the world but I, I guess the obvious question from that is is what do you mean by fully sustainable it comes in three parts right uh, as an insurer you have three core parts of your business you have your assets your liabilities and your operations and all three of those need to be aligned to esg and sustainability for anyone to have a credible call on being sustainable. We are seeing moves in the industry, uh, which we're delighted about, that people are allocating more of the asset side of the insurers to sustainability and ESG screening. Almost no one is really committed to do 100% assets allocation. So they need to be looking at that. We will have 100% asset allocated and screened through ESG and sustainability criteria. But we're also importantly going to apply those lenses to the underwriting. So we're going to have those negative screening. We're not going to be doing fossil fuels. We're not going to be doing aviation shipping out of the box. And, and of course, that third bit is the operations. You've got to walk the talk. 
Uh, and that's what we define as being a sustainable insurer. And, and the first of those three things that you mentioned was was um, assets. So what do you mean by that? Is that the, the, the money that you hold will only be invested in ESG companies? Is that right? Correct. Well, as an insurer, we'll have the capital asset allocation will be uh, a mix. It will predominantly be fixed income assets, particularly as a startup. And that's largely dictated by um, the rating agencies and the regulatory arrangements. But all our assets will be screened for ESG and sustainability criteria. uh, And that's really important. And we should say that here that I mean, everyone will probably have be familiar with ESG, but it stands for environmental social governance. But what does it mean for you? I mean, does Pyhelion have its own kind of specific definition of ESG and its own policies, or or are you are you relying upon the rating agencies for that? We are definitely not relying on rating agencies um, because whilst they are making progress, they are still a long way off from having a comprehensive and uh, robust definition of what constitutes ESG. And so we do have a very detailed policy of what we will and won't do and how we do it. But at the end of the day, to keep it simple, it just means about doing good business and responsible business. So it is about taking care of your stakeholders, all your stakeholders, not just your shareholders. It's your employees, the community in which you work. You know, they give you your social license to operate, looking at at the environmental impact of what you do. It's not just what you do, but also how your products are used and who you're enabling. If as insurers, we're not heavily energy intensive, but we are a big enabler of the fossil fuel industry and very high emission Uh, sectors and and unsustainable businesses. And so, you know, we we need to decide who we want to work with, not just be agnostic and and ambivalent about that and and pay close attention to what we're enabling in society. So in terms of the underwriting side of it, what what sort of things are you covering and what sort of things are you not covering as part of your ESG sustainability? So we're using the European Development Finance Institution exclusion criteria as a a base uh, starting point of what we will and won't do. But it's much more about, you know, that negative screening. As I said, we're not going to do fossil fuels, but it's also about what you can enable. And so it's also about, you know, people have heard about impact investing, but there's also the opportunity for impact underwriting. So it's not about just what you're not doing it's what you are doing there's been a lot of talk in the insurance market about closing the protection gap for instance and that's really you know it's a simple thing to say but it's a complex thing to deliver and so we want to explore different distribution mechanisms different underwriting approaches to to put our capital at work and um, aligned with the sustainable development goals Am I right in thinking that it's therefore taking a an approach which says actually there is an aim that we want to achieve, and actually as insurance we are going to do our best to enable society to reach that point. Exactly, you know the the word there is enable. Insurance is the great enabler. 
it enables you know debt and equity to be deployed it enables you know business to happen and trade to happen and so we it's the sort of uh, it's the glue and the oil of that capital stack and it enables so much and if we keep that in mind and think what do we want to enable as a sector then that will be to the benefits of society and and we think to us as well as a business i've been trying to think about this recently and because insurance has always historically been a, a, a reactive thing. It, it, it has enabled by being reactive. So, so people come up with great ideas, kind of the inventors and entrepreneurs of this world, and then they get insurance, which enables them to put their inventions into practice and put their entrepreneurial ideas into practice. So in that sense, insurance has enabled by providing entrepreneurs and, and inventors to do their thing, whereas the feeling I get going forwards is that actually insurance is going to have to take a more positive role in guiding what happens, and particularly when it comes to fossil fuels. Does that make sense? And is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're often at sort of tail end, Charlie, you know, having worked in the past on some very big engineering, energy and power projects, you know, they start with the engineering and design, and that allows them to attract the capital. And once that's there, they go, oh, goodness, we need to buy some insurance. But actually, we can be a lot more proactive and a lot more focused on, on what we're doing. You know, even the best management team can't deal with certain risks. And that's where the insurance industry comes in. And by removing those barriers, you enable a lot more to happen. Let, let's ask a couple of questions about kind of where Pahelion is at the moment. So what stage have you reached in your development? How close are you to launching? So we are making good progress. We have a very good proposition. We're actively in the capital raising process. We're looking to raise half a billion dollars of equity capital, which is not a work of a moment. And so that's what we're focusing on. And what sort of classes of business will you be looking to write? Your background, as you've mentioned, is in energy. Is it going to be limited to energy or is it going beyond that? Well, no, we're not going to be doing much energy other than the renewable and alternative energy. Our target clients are the large corporates because they are the ones that are under this tsunami of pressure from so many different stakeholders to adopt ESG and sustainability through their business. And so that's where we will be targeting. And we'll have a suite of traditional product lines that we'll be offering them, you know, property, uh, third-party liability, professional liabilities, financial liabilities, and so on. And then in addition to the traditional products, we'll also be bringing new product innovations to the market that where Pyhelion as it exists today has spent a lot of time working on the role of insurance, for instance, in enabling the carbon trading market. You know, we're the only people that have been um, active in the carbon market and insurance supporting the California carbon market. You know, as I said, I cut my teeth uh, looking at the Kyoto carbon trading market as well. And we also have some interesting innovations in the geothermal sector. So we have a suite of traditional products for large corporates and these new products that uh, fall more into that impact underwriting area. Yeah, you mentioned geothermal there. Let's have a little look at that in a little bit more detail, because um, one of your products is, uh, if I've got this right, uh, geothermal resource risk insurance. So first off, what is geothermal energy 
Yeah, so geothermal is a really interesting proposition. It, it's it's really taking energy from the earth, and um, that energy can be very high energy from sort of volcanic formations where you've got very hot rock, and you know you get hot rock and water permeating through that rock, and you can drill into the ground, and that enables the steam to come out up through that rock. And that steam simply drives a steam turbine on the surface. And then the condensed water is then re-injected back into the formation, percolates through that rock, and it's a, it's a sustainable source of energy. And there is a huge amount of energy out in the, in the world. That high entropy geothermal systems are typically uh, in those volcanic areas, so the East African Rift Valley, around the Pacific Ring of Fire, uh, so all uh, along the you know west coast of North and South America, Indonesia, Philippines, and so on. And you know it, it is the sort of holy trinity of energy sources because it's very affordable because once you've got this running, you don't have any input costs. It's just steam coming out of the ground and it's a steam turbine. It's also always on. Okay, so it is once the steam started, it just keeps ticking. It doesn't have any resilience issues as wind and solar does or intermittency issues. And thirdly, it's clean. There, there is no fossil fuel emissions associated with it. There, there is obviously some impact because you are drilling into, into the ground, but it is a really attractive source of energy. And um, I mean, that clearly falls within ESG criteria. It's, it's a, a wonderfully renewable source of energy. But what is the precise risk that, that's being insured? Is it the feasibility side of it or is it the operational side of it? So it's, it's the resource risk. So uh, when you're looking at these resources, you, you, you sort of do your surface studies and you say, you know, do we think there's heat and water and permeability in there? And you do. There's only so much you can do just by looking at the surface. And if you get a good estimate from the surface studies, you will spend a bit more money and do your first subsurface exploratory drilling. And that means you will drill maybe a slim well to a certain depth. And that's a few million dollars. And you can get that funded by venture funding type or venture capital type capital. But if you get a good result from there, you suddenly move the cost curve by spending a lot more because you don't just drill one or two exploratory wells. You might drill 10 or 15 full depth, full bore production wells. And that suddenly takes you out of the venture capital world into what is normally a private equity type financing arrangement. You know, it can easily be 75, 100 million dollars. But that low probability, high impact risk is that you spend that 75 million dollars. And actually, you find it just doesn't work. You know you've got a resource in place, but you don't know how big it is. Is it a 100 megawatt resource or is it a 5 megawatt resource? So the way the insurance works is to say, okay, we will agree a drilling campaign. You're going to drill five wells maybe, and you might have an expected output of 20 megawatts. That's great if you get the 20 megawatts, but what if you get 15 or what if you get 10 megawatts? And so what we can do is use the insurance to put a floor on that downside. And that means that that 
tail risk, that low probability, high impact risk that would otherwise put the equity investors off is taken away from them and it changes the risk profile for them and it allows them to commit their capital with greater certainty and prove and develop that resource. Once you've developed and proven that resource, you're off to the races. And so it is that resource risk that we're dealing with. And are you working alongside national governments um, on, on this sort of insurance, or is it private companies? Uh, it, it's both, actually. We have um, we work with a company called Geothermex as our technical advisor. Uh, they have phenomenal technical expertise. We also have a number of partnerships, one with the Kenyan government and also with the Ethiopian government. And of course, they see their geothermal resources, you know, in a national asset. So they are using some of their domestic national entities to develop projects there. But they are also certainly in Kenya, they have some private sector uh, project developers as well. You mentioned earlier, moving on to a new topic now, you said kind of being fully sustainable means every element of, of the business. So assets, underwriting, um, operations as well, internal operations. So insurance is a, is a, is a very interactive thing where one has to work with a whole lot of other insurers by and large. So how does your desire to be sustainable affect your relations with, with other insurers? How, how easy is it for you to maintain your principles, but at the same time work alongside insurers who may not have the same sustainability principles that you do? So um, we see working with the other insurers is really an important and exciting opportunity, actually. You know, even with half a billion dollar capital balance sheet, we will only be able to do a proportion of any of the larger risks that we're looking to do. So we're not going to be writing 100% of um, risks. We will be part of that subscription market. We'll do two things with the, the rest of the market, though. Particularly for the new products, what we hear in the market is everyone wants to do new products, and they're particularly interested in ESG products. But no one has the sector expertise to be the leader. And we've been working in these areas for quite a long time. So what we propose to do is be the leader for these new products and give the rest of the market an opportunity to create consortias where we can collaborate with other insurers and bring these new products to market with them. And of course, more generally, we will be setting a new benchmark for the industry as to what it means to be sustainable. Do you think that is going to have an effect on, on the insurance market as a whole over the next, say, 20 years? I mean, there's there obviously a move towards net zero, but how do you see the insurance market achieving that, or at least playing its part in, in achieving that? Well, I think um, we want to be that catalyst to help show the way. You know, we won't have all the answers by any stretch, um, but we do have some answers and we want to bring those to market at speed and scale to give them those new ways to deploy their capital in a more uh, sustainable way and work with them collaboratively to do that. And also, as I said, setting a new benchmark as to what is the art of the possible and, and what are we going to be, what is the industry going to be judged against? And um, reinsurance, where does that fit into all of this? Because obviously you presumably buy um, reinsurance, but yet presumably there isn't a, a fully sustainable reinsurer at the moment. So how, how does that work for you? Well, in, indeed. So we would love to buy sustainable reinsurance, but as you rightly say, it doesn't exist. So we are going to be offering 
reinsurance as well as direct insurance so that other people don't have that same challenge. We will be predominantly an insurance business, but with a significant reinsurance offering too, to enable other insurers that want to align their own capital spend and or reinsurance spend uh, to be sustainable. And so we're bringing that solution to the market too. And then again, you know, with our own reinsurance providers, we will be selecting them on ESG and sustainability criteria in that decision making too. So we hope to move them along the pathway as well. It's all very exciting, isn't it? I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I watched an interview with you just before COP26 on, on YouTube, and you discussed um, in that the need for insurance to be involved with, you described it as adaptation and resilience finance measures. What did you mean by that? So in the climate world, people have been looking at sort of two sides of climate. There is mitigation, which is reducing the emissions that we're putting out. But we also know that climate change isn't just something in the future, it's here today and is going to get worse, even if we stopped all the emissions now, because the genie's already out of the bottle. So we have to adapt to the climate change that is already happening and will continue to happen. So that's the adaptation part. And we can't stop that. So it's also about how we respond to it. Adaptation is one thing. But it's also been resilient to to it too. And it's that's your ability to bounce back. Now, if you think about the role of insurance in that, resilience finance is fundamentally insurance. And we have a couple of good examples. It's, it's about a system change, isn't it? And if you see, you know, we're, we are selling insurance into you know Florida property owners all the time to protect against the hurricane risk. If you take that same sort of event that happens in one of the emerging market economies where there isn't that insurance protection, you know, people don't have a house that can be rebuilt. You don't get that injection of capital into the economy from the insurance payout. And they can't necessarily go back to work either because they're struggling to rebuild their own house or their work building has been destroyed. And so having that insurance there is a really important part of enabling communities to get back onto their feet when these events do inevitably happen. And that's the protection gap that you mentioned a bit earlier on in, in, in our conversation. Correct. Correct. I, I, you know, I think it's, it's wonderful how insurance can play its part in all of this. So my final question in the main part of, of this is you are clearly closely involved in climate finance. Are you optimistic that the world of finance is able to positively assist in the transition to net zero? Uh, I am very optimistic that uh, we can assist in the transition to net zero. In fact, I think we're a fundamental part to it. And unless we are more forward thinking and, and proactive about it, because people don't often think about insurance as you know, you think about dealing with climate change, everyone thinks, oh, let's go and build another wind farm or solar plant or whatever. But the finance bit is the last bit to be solved. We understand the science of climate change. That means we know what we've got to do. The bit that we still are struggling with in particular is who's going to pay for it and how. And because insurance is such a big enabler of things happening, we are really fundamental to 
that who's going to pay for it and how. We have a big pool of capital that needs to be put to use and to enable those other pools of capital to be realigned and redeployed to sustainable investment opportunities. So we're a really important cog in enabling that to happen. And the very final question, which is, if someone's thinking about entering the world of insurance, they want to make a difference to the world, kind of uh, climate change, environment, sustainability, what bit of advice would you give them? Firstly, you should be thinking about insurance as a really interesting and diverse career that looks at really fascinating elements and, and is this big enabling thing. If you say to most graduates, do you want to go into insurance or talk to someone at dinner and you say i'm in insurance it's inevitably you know the chances are they're going to switch off or ask about car insurance but you know there is this very big industry out there that does a lot more interesting things that has this ability to enable many other more interesting things so understand that insurance understand how it fits into the capital stack why it's such an important part of enabling transition to a more sustainable economy. And that'll be a fascinating journey for them to do. And it'll equip them well for the future. Thank you, Julian. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks, Peter. RPC Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.